as we go to a time of just spending time with the Lord and his word and responding in faith uh, to his word, let us do so in prayer. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to, to gather together as the body of Christ, both on campus and uh, those joining with us online. Uh, Lord, during this time, as we uh, just spend time in your word, uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for the truth that you reveal to us through uh, the power of your spirit. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, we would receive every word uh, in faith, trusting in your goodness, uh, Lord, for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I want to invite you to turn to the letter of uh, Philemon. If you have your own Bible, that'll be in between uh, Titus and uh, the book of Hebrews. So if you get to the book of Hebrews, take a left. If you hit Titus, take a right. It's only one page, so you may miss it. Uh, If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. Uh, You should see a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible and open it up to page uh, 1101, so 1101, 1101. Uh, This morning, uh, we're going to begin a three-part series called The Gospel and Fellowship. The Gospel and the Fellowship will specifically be looking at uh, those first uh, seven verses there in uh, the letter uh, to Philemon. Uh, but let's take a moment to just kind of introduce a little bit about the letter. Uh, Paul uh, wrote this letter while he was under house arrest during that first uh, Roman imprisonment. Uh, those, uh, you could read about that a little bit in Acts 28. Uh, during this same time, Paul wrote what is uh, very well known as the uh, prison epistles or prison letters. Those would be the letters uh, to the churches in uh, Philippi, uh, Colossians, and also Ephesus. The letter would have been dated sometime around uh, 60 to 63 uh, AD. Uh, This letter is short. Uh, Most of you probably have it on one page or half on one page and half on the other page. It's uh, 25 verses long. It's 335 words in the original language. Uh, But it is packed uh, with gospel truth. Gospel truth that really uh, hits at the core of uh, our relationship as uh, followers of Christ to one another. Uh, And and because of that, it unpacks uh, the beauty of unity, uh, fellowship, forgiveness, uh, restoration, reconciliation that goes along with it. Uh, Paul is writing uh, this letter as a companion letter uh, to the church, churches there in Colossae, to uh, a a man by the name of Philemon. We'll talk a little bit more about him. Uh, But it also goes to the community of faith that was meeting in his home. Uh, And it's an encouragement uh, to receive uh, his brother in the Lord, Onesimus, uh, back into right, uh, right fellowship uh, with the body of Christ. Onesimus was, was a slave, a slave of Philemon. Philemon was his master. We'll talk more about that uh, next week. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened, but it appears that uh, Philemon uh, stole some things from, or Onesimus stole some things from, from Philemon, and, and he went on the run. Uh, he ran uh, from that situation. And, and you may ask, well, how far did he run? I have a map behind me. You'll see there uh, the church in Colossae. This is where this letter would have gone, somewhere near that area. Uh, Rome is uh, upper left-hand corner. So you got roughly 1,300 miles uh, that Onesimus uh, ran. And he ran rightly so, because if you're a slave and you you run away from your master and you're caught, you could be killed, right? And so there's there's something happening here. Uh, But here's the beauty. Under God's grace and God's uh, sovereignty... Onesimus at some point runs into the Apostle Paul while he's under house arrest. And there, Paul shares the gospel. Onesimus comes to faith in Christ. 
And you can just imagine, Paul say, tell me a little bit about your story. Tell me about your past. And Onesimus begins to share about his past. And at some point, the situation with Philemon comes up. And Paul says, I, I know Philemon. You see, several years earlier, Paul was in Ephesus. And he met a man named Philemon. And Paul shared the gospel with Philemon. And guess what? Philemon came to faith in Christ as well. So in God's grace and sovereignty, he brings these two individuals together, both led uh, to Christ uh, through uh, the instrument of, of, of Paul being the instrument in the Redeemer's hands. And as Onesimus shares this story, Paul says, you need to take responsibility, Onesimus. You, you need to go back and you need to seek forgiveness and restoration uh, with your brother. Uh, and before I read, I think it's important for us to read the whole letter this morning. Again, we're going to only pack those first seven verses. But before we do that, is there anybody within the, fo- the family of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you need to seek forgiveness from? Or maybe you need to grant forgiveness to? I pray that this message and these next two messages or next three uh, will be a help for you. So let's read the entire letter Uh, so that we can get the feel of it. Again, we're going to look at those first seven verses, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and uh, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from you, from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you? both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you received me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing, me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be 
with your spirit. So as we focus in on these first seven verses this morning, we're going to see four observations concerning the body of Christ. And it's these four observations that really help build the foundation of what it means to have unity within the body of Christ, fellowship, uh, forgiveness, restoration, and uh, reconciliation. And so this first observation is in Christ, we are family. In Christ, uh, we are family. In this short letter, by the time you get to verse 25, seven, uh, Paul is going to mention 10 people by name and, and, and the church meeting in Philemon's house one time. And so uh, these 11 occurrence really talk about the, the personal aspect of the concept of family. Just in those first two verses, you see five people's names mentioned. Uh, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, uh, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and, and Aphia, our sister, and uh, Archippus, uh, our a fellow soldier in this uh, church in your house. And so Paul is mentioning Timothy, our brother. It's during that first missionary journey where uh, Paul uh, led uh, Timothy to Christ. And it's on that second missionary journey that Paul invites Timothy to come along with him. And Paul had the, the gracious opportunity to mentor young Timothy in the faith. He's his right-hand man in many ways. But more than that, the scripture says, this is, this is our brother. Uh, Paul mentions uh, Aphia, our sister. This is more than likely uh, Philemon's uh, uh, wife, uh, and the way that it's referenced here in the Greek is man, she, she had an impact in the ministry there in their home, and so she's alongside uh, Philemon, uh, serving alongside for the glory of the Lord, and, and he says, this, this is our sister in the Lord. Uh, Paul mentions uh, Archippus. Uh, he's more than likely the son of, of Philemon and Aphia. We don't know a whole lot about him, uh, it's possible that he was a pastor or interim pastor in some way. We do know that there was some type of calling uh, of the ministry on his life because Paul mentions him specifically in Colossians chapter 4, uh, verse 17. Uh, but then uh, Paul mentions the church in your house, the church in your house. Now, it's important to understand that the, the, the church did not meet in facilities like you and I have today. Uh, and for, for a long time. In fact, the, the first occurrence that we see this in historical writings is in uh, the year 232. Uh, so roughly 200 years after uh, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension back into heaven, uh, you have the church gathering in, in facilities, not exactly like this, but bigger, bigger buildings. And, and why is that the case? Well, several reasons. And I'll point out just a couple of them. One, uh, the, the financial cost to it. Uh, also, the travel that's involved for a lot of these individuals, again, they're spread out, uh, and so it would require a lot of travel for people to gather in one central location, so they spread into people's homes. Uh, the other part that's important is persecution. Uh, you just think globally about the, the church globally today. Uh, most uh, places in the world, uh, the church gathers in small homes uh, because of persecution, and so that, that's not uncommon today, right? But, but here, the church is meeting in uh, uh, Philemon's house, and uh, that, that tells us that Philemon had a little bit of resources, some financial uh, prosperity, if you will, uh, because in these cultures, a lot of times you didn't have a house, you just had a room. Uh, but here's Philemon, he has a house, he's opening up his home uh, to uh, the body of Christ there, so he comes to faith in Christ. We'll learn a little bit more about him in just a moment. Uh, the greater point, though, I think is important is that this is, this is a private letter that's addressed specifically to Philemon, but it's read publicly, right, to the house church. What does that mean to us? It means that the relationship and fellowship between Philemon and Onesimus not only impacted them specifically, but it also impacted the body of Christ there together. And this is why I love how Paul introduces himself. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. 
Paul does not lay out his credentials, right? You know, typically in, in Paul's writings, nine of them, in fact, he begins his writings with Paul, an apostle, right? So it's talking about his authority. And there's a reason why Paul does that in those particular writings, but Paul does not do it here. This is the only time that Paul uses this idea that he is a uh, prisoner of Christ Jesus in his introduction. Now, he talks about that in other parts of his letters, but in the introduction itself, Paul doesn't do that. Paul comes not with a heavy hand, but a heavy heart. And in humility, he identifies himself as a prisoner of Christ. Yes, he's chained to a Roman soldier, Roman guard, but greater than that, he is bound to Christ like Philemon. You're bound to Christ as well. And notice what he says about Philemon. He says, uh, Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. The word beloved there communicates, man, you're my dear friend. You're my dear friend. But then he uses the word uh, or phrase fellow worker. It's the, the, the Greek there is where we get our en- English word synergy. Uh, synergy. Anybody know what synergy is? Uh, synergy in many ways is what happens when a group of people, though different in many ways, pull together for a common goal. Now, I distinctly remember my first encounter with the word synergy. It was back in 1995, right? We got our yearbooks that year at at, uh, Fortress Chester High School, and it said Patriots 95, synergy on the bottom. And I was like, what in the world is the word synergy? Well, by the grace of God, I didn't have to open the book too far, because right on the cover, you'll see this image. That's that's the, the pages I scanned. Our scanner is amazing, by the way. So that's from 1995. Look how clear it looks. The fusion of 1,400 individuals to create one dynamic force, Fort Dorchester High School, right? So you got student life, academics, sports, people, activities, uh, community life, all those things pulling together for a common goal. And you may be asking yourself, how did I respond to this idea of synergy as 11th grader at Fort Dorchester High School? Well, I have my picture for you today. I guess I was happy about it, right? Yeah, I guess I was pretty happy about it. All right, hurry up and get that off, get that off. I tell my family sometimes about some illustrations, and I leave them in the dark. I say, yeah, you'll like the illustration this, this Sunday, and they're like, who's it about? Is it about me? And they're like stressing out about it, so I got to tell them up front, no, this, is, this one's not on you. This one's on me. You know, think about this. As followers of Christ, we are brothers and sisters, fellow workers, fellow soldiers, dear friends, and a community of believers joined together for a common goal, right? We are family in the Lord, different in many ways, but equal at the foot of the cross, Right? Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no uh, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So those things that typically divide us in Christ have been broken down. Now it's important, and I think it's important that we talk about this specifically in our day, in our culture, when the scripture is talking about uh, there's no uh, male and female, he's not saying that there's no genders, right? This is not what the scripture is saying at all. He's not even saying that genders don't matter. Listen, God has uniquely designed you, right? You are one of a kind. And he has allowed you to be born into this world, either as a male or a female, right? And you are to embrace that gender for your entire life. This idea that we can change this and change that. No, that is not by God's design. And so this idea of male, no male or female, Paul is not addressing that there is no such thing as genders or no such things as gender roles. He's talking specifically about the treatment of women. In this culture, in this society, women had no rights or very little rights. They, were, they weren't even treated as humans in many ways. And, and Paul, through the gospel, 
elevates women to be that of value and that of uh, things that are unique and special. And so this has nothing to do with the fact that there are no such things as genders or no such thing as gender roles. See, Paul is elevating the treatment of women in the society through the gospel, right? So we are one at the foot of the cross, but we are blessed at the foot of the cross. Verse 29 of Galatians 3. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offering, uh, offspring, heirs according to the promise. Everything hinges on God's promise, right? The offspring, the seed, that's the word there, is Jesus Christ himself. Everything points back to Jesus, right? For the Old Testament saints, they're looking forward to Jesus. For us as New Testament saints, we're looking back to Jesus. Everything hinges on the work of Christ. Everything about redemptive history centers on what? Jesus Christ and his work. And it's through the finished work of Jesus Christ that we are equally blessed. How could this be? Philemon says, or Paul says in verse 3, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, uh, God gave us what? He brought us grace and peace. It's given to us as a gift, right? That's the beauty of it. God takes the initiative through Christ to give us grace and peace. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 2, verses 12 through 13. He says, remember that you, and he's talking to Gentile Christians, remember that you were at that time, so a time in the past, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you understand the reversal that has occurred for us in Christ? There was a time where we had uh, no promise, no citizenship, no hope, no knowledge of him, no experience of him. But in Christ, that's no longer the case. We have been brought back into right relationship with our creator. And it's through the cross that we are not only reconciled to God, but we are actually reconciled to one another in Christ. Paul goes on to say in verses 14 through 18 in Ephesians 2, for he, speaking of Jesus, himself is our peace, who has made us both, speaking to Jew and Gentile Christians, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off. He's talking about those who were Gentiles. And peace to those who were near. Talking about Jews. For through him, through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. See what the gospel does. The gospel takes things that were once divided and opposed. Now he brings them uh, together. The cross makes a difference in our relationship with God and it makes a difference in our relationship to one another. And how does it make a difference? That's the second observation. As a family, we express love for one another. We express love for one another. Uh, Paul says in uh, Philemon verse, uh, verse 4, uh, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you. And the you here is very specific. It's Philemon. In fact, uh, from verse 4 almost to the end of uh, this particular letter, everything is focused on Philemon himself. The you there is singular in my prayers. So he says, I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers. When I pray and God brings you to my mind, I thank God for you every time. And why is Paul so thankful? He says in verse 5, Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now in the Greek, it really helps us understand what that verse is talking about. 
The Greek says it like this, because I hear of your love for all the saints and of your faith you have toward the Lord uh, Jesus. So here is Philemon. He is faithfully following the Lord. And one of the fruits of that faith is what? He has a love for all the saints. And in a day and age where there is no phone, there's no internet, there's no social media, there's none of those ways of communication, Paul says what? I keep hearing about what? Your love for all the saints. It's in the present tense. I hear it over and over and over again. And the word love that Paul uses is very specific. It's the word agape, a love of choice, a love of the will, a love of self-sacrifice and humility. It's a love that comes out of the overflow of your fellowship with Jesus. And this expression of genuine love is for who? It's for all the saints. It's for all his brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is huge. Why? Because he's been wronged. He's been wronged by a fellow brother in the Lord. So there's a tension, and we understand this tension. There's a tension of us communicating a love for all the saints and us actually having a love for all the saints, right? And that's the tension that Philemon's going to have to deal with when Onesimus comes back and he sees him face to face. Are you really going to love all the saints or just some of them? right? Do you understand that tension today? Have you ever experienced that tension in your own life when you consider your brothers and sisters in Christ? When we choose to operate not in the spirit, but in the flesh, because that is the other tension to this equation, there will always be a gap between our faith in the Lord and our love for all the saints. It'll be very selective love. And again, it's born out of that tension between the desires of the flesh and the work of the Spirit. Paul talks about this tension in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. This, this calling to freedom is not something that we're born into. It's not because we're an American citizen or whatever. This call is by the grace of God, right? We are called into spiritual freedom because of the work of Jesus Christ. He says, don't lose sight of that. On the same token, he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, don't abuse the freedom that you have in the Lord, right? But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I love how the Greek unpacks it. It says, don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, but instead let love make you serve one another. That word love is the same word agape, it's unconditional, unending, unrelenting love, a love that pursues, a love that sacrifices on behalf of another. But this isn't what was happening in the church in Galatia when Paul was writing to them. In fact, he says in verse 15, he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So he's saying, stop acting like a pack of wild animals, right? That's how they attack. When our freedom in Christ is being fed by the flesh and not by the spirit, it will always, always, always negatively impact our relationships with one another. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse 16, he says, but here's the contrast. But I say, walk by the spirit. That's a command. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is a promise. So you have this command with a promise. When I choose to walk by the spirit, the promise is you will what? Through love, you will serve one another. And one of the greatest acts of service that we can do to one another is the act of forgiveness, right? It's the act of forgiveness. Now, what kind of love serves one another? Well, Paul, talking to the church in Corinth, under the context of 
spiritual gifts. He says this in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at the wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Paul Paul gives us 16 terms that describe what Christian love looks like. And they're all action verbs. They're all in the present tense, meaning keep on doing these things. True biblical love is not something that you just think about. It's something that you actually do. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 is a picture of Jesus, right? The way that he showed love to us. He never gave up. He never turned his back. He, he didn't take the easy way out. He didn't focus in on defending himself. He sacrificed everything for you and for me. And in Christ, we can express his love to one another. And are you thankful for your brothers and sisters in Christ today? Do you have a genuine love for all of your brothers and sisters in Christ today? That is a work of the gospel. The third observation that we see is as a family, we commit to honor the Lord. We commit to honor the Lord. Paul says in Philemon, uh, verse six, the first part, he says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. Now, when Paul talks about this uh, sharing of our faith, he's not talking about evangelism, right? There's a byproduct of that in the sharing of our faith, but that's not the word that he's using there. Uh, The word for share here is the word koinia. It's a word that describes fellowship. That's what it's talking about. Uh, True fellowship means that we belong to the community of faith. How many of y'all like to belong? That's what the word is talking about. Then when we gather together as the body of Christ, every single one of us should, should experience the fact that we do what? We belong. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made us into his family. The word effective here, Uh, talks about a word of power, power. So think about this for just a minute. Again, the backdrop of verses one through seven is what? It's talking about unity, fellowship, restoration, forgiveness, reconciliation, all those things that are getting ready to come into play in our next section next week. And Paul says, I pray that your fellowship become effective, that it would become powerful. And how is our fellowship powerful? He says, for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. That phrase, full knowledge, talks about not intellectual knowledge, but experiential knowledge. I want you to experience the power of your fellowship. What does that mean? It's one thing to talk about forgiveness, but it's entirely different to actually experience forgiveness. It's one thing to talk about unity, but it's entirely different to experience unity. It's one thing to talk about fellowship, but it's a totally different thing to experience true fellowship. It's one thing to talk about reconciliation, but have you ever experienced the power of reconciliation? It's one thing to talk about love, but it's a totally different thing to experience love. Do you see what he's talking about? He says, I want you to take your faith and I want you to put it into action. Paul's heart and prayer is that the body of Christ, specifically to Philemon, would put their faith into practice. And that's the issue with the church. We talk a lot about these things. The question is, are we going to put it into practice? Are we really going to put forgiveness into practice? Again, what's the backdrop? I'm sending Onesimus to you, Philemon. Forgive him. 
as your brother in the Lord. The phrase, every good thing that is in you or in us, refers to all that the work of Christ does for us, in us, and through us. Again, don't just talk about the blessings that you have. Live in the blessings that you have together. Put your faith in action. When Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he says these words in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, you have been saved by the grace of the gospel. Live in light of that grace. He says, with, uh, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope and belong, belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Again, Paul is going to encourage Philemon to do what is not normal, what is not culturally acceptable what is not in line with the desires of our flesh, forgive him, restore him, bring him back into right fellowship. And, and why is Paul going to encourage Philemon to do this? What does he say? Second part of verse six, for the sake of Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? Living in unity Living in forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration is not primarily about you and I. It's about the glory of the Lord, the honor of the Lord, but it's through the church desiring to glorify the Lord with their relationships with one another that they receive the blessing, right? That's what Paul is encouraging Philemon to do. We receive great blessing when the glory of the Lord is our commitment. When Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, he says these words in Colossians 3. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Let it be your umpire in life to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. No matter what you do, exalt the name of the Lord. And as you do this, guess what? You receive the amazing blessings of compassionate hearts, humility, forgiveness, thankfulness, unity, genuine worship. So when you consider your relationships and your fellowship with other believers, are you focused on honoring the Lord? I mean, if we're not careful, we will see our relationships with one another based on what we get, right? It'll all be temporal, or it'll be based on what was the past. Listen, let our vision and our view of our relationships with one another be first and foremost about the glory of God. And through that, we will receive great blessings. 
And that leads us to our fourth observation. As a family, we seek to encourage one another. We seek to encourage one another. Paul closes with a personal note about his personal experience and appreciation of Philemon's love for all the saints. He says in verse 7, For I have derived, that word derived means received, I have received much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Keep in mind, where's Paul? Paul's in prison, right? He's chained to a, a Roman soldier, a Roman guard. And yet in the midst of all that, he is hearing story after story after story. In the midst of the sufferings that the church is facing, the persecution that the church is facing, the fact that, that Paul is in, in many ways isolated from the body of Christ. Yes, he's allowed to have visitors, but he's not allowing those things to hold him captive. Why? Because he's bound to Christ, right? And he says, I keep hearing of your faith. I keep hearing of your love for all the saints. And what did he say? He says, it brings me great joy. It brings me great comfort. Why? Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The word refreshed here is a military term. It talks about uh, rest that is given after a long journey, after a long uh, battle. And Paul says, whenever I hear about you, the burdens and the weights of my soul gets to take a break. That's what he's saying. In our day, we would say that when you're around brothers and sisters in Christ, it lifts up your spirit, right? That's how we would define that. Do you have brothers and sisters like that in Christ? Do you praise God for those people? That every time you get around them, no matter what is happening, they renew your joy in the Lord. That word comfort, encouragement, you know that you're not alone. They come alongside you. And it, it refreshes your soul. In the midst of the burden of life, the heaviness of your circumstances, you have brothers and sisters in Christ that give you a place of rest. And when you leave that conversation, man, it's, it is a difference. That's what Paul is talking about. Now, how can this happen? How does this happen? Well, when brothers and sisters in Christ are committed to the Lord and to his church, we give opportunity for encouragement to happen. Why? Because we're not focused on ourselves, right? We're focused on the glory of God. We're focused on our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul speaks of this a little bit in Philippians 2 about humility. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what an encourager does. An encourager lays aside their pride. They embrace the humility of Christ. They, they lay aside just things focused on them and themselves, and they look at the body of Christ. They hear the hearts of God's people. They, they see the circumstances, and they meet them where they are. That's, that's part of the characteristic of humility. Brother and sister in Christ, you desire your brother and sister in Christ to walk in the blessings that we already have in Christ. Again, we're one in the Lord, right? We're family. Again, that word rest is so important, or refreshed. The word refreshed, again, means to rest. It shows up in another important part of Scripture. It's the invitation that Jesus gives, and this is the invitation that I'll give. The Scripture says in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, 
It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Same word for refreshed. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And one of the greatest encouragements that we can give to our brothers and sisters in Christ is to help usher them under the mighty, amazing yoke of the word of God, because that is where we find our greatest rest. Do you have encouragers in your life today? Do you desire to be an encourager to, the brother, to your brothers and sisters in Christ? You've got to see yourself as a family. Yes, we're different in many ways, but by the grace of God, we are one in Christ. Do you embrace the family of God like that? Do you love the body of Christ like that? The bride of Christ. Is there a genuine love that is expressed in your actions, in your words, in your prayers? Or is there a thankfulness that you have for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you, when you think about the community of faith, is it about your preference or is it about the honor of the Lord? Where is your focus when it comes to the body of Christ? Do you seek to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, we're talking about relationships. They're not easy, right? I mean, you just think about your brothers and sisters in Christ, if it be your own son or daughter or your, your spouse or maybe a friend or maybe something like Onesimus that happened in the past, right? And you're just, you just keep running. And there's something that keeps bringing it back up. And embrace God's ordained time frame, right? Embrace God's way of bringing that thing up because it probably needs to be dealt with, right? So I would encourage you at this time, would you worship the Lord through your response? You can pray at the altar. I'll be up here. I'd love to pray with you. Pray where you're at. Praise the Lord. Maybe there's somebody near.